You're listening to Bell, Book, and Candle with Mela Borowski. Thoughts from a Southern Witch. Should have studied witchcraft. Should have learned to ride a broom. So me and my black cat could fly through the skies underneath the moon. I'm Mella Borowski, and you're listening to Bell, Book, and Candle. Thanks for being here with us today. Our guest is Shirley Blanche, a UK-based mindfulness coach, meditation teacher, healer, speaker, and co-host of the Mindfulness Cafe podcast. She works with adults and young people in educational, corporate, and private settings and has appeared as an expert guest on BBC Radio. She specializes in encouraging people to incorporate mindfulness easily into their everyday lives if they don't want to meditate and teaches meditation to those who wish to do so. I'm so excited about this topic. Welcome, Shirley. Thank you so much. It's fantastic to be here. So tell us, how did you get started on this journey? Well, I think it's like a lot of people get started on big journeys in their lives. It can often come out of really sad and challenging times. And for me, my father was diagnosed with esophageal cancer in 2006, and he sadly passed away from that in 2011. But during that time, I also lost uh, one of my closest friends to cancer as well, and also my mother-in-law. So I'd lost three people in in quite a short period of time, all to cancer. And, you know, I was a stay-at-home mum at the time, had a lot of time on my hands to think, and obviously dealing with the whole trauma of the, with supporting, trying to support people going through that and dealing with your own emotions, and then the grief on top of that as well. My reality at that point became very focused around disease, very focused around how challenging it is, how health worries, things like that, becoming very hypervigilant to everything to do with cancer especially. And my, my thinking around that got very distorted. And uh, eventually I realised that this was having an impact on my mental and my physical health. And I decided that I wanted to do something about it. So I, I went on a bit of a journey and I decided that I wanted to empower myself to learn all the stuff that we can learn uh, to help empower ourselves over our own health. And my father towards the end was very, was really helped by a healer who, even though he was on enough fentanyl to knock out a rhino and uh, and fentanyl is, is for anyone that doesn't know it's you know it's a very hardcore painkiller I think it's the stuff that Prince overdosed on you know so it's a, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's one of those things and you can't get much stronger painkillers than that but he was still in a huge amount of pain and as a family we'd never done anything like that it was just totally you know we'd never gone to a healer we'd, we'd, mm-hmm. we'd always just gone straight to the doctor you've got something wrong you go straight to the doctor but when the doctors turn around and say look there's nothing else we can do you start to look for other things and um we had a healer recommended to us he started to see her and she would get him out of pain you know like and that for us at that point was the most incredible thing that we could ask for he'd go and see her he'd be out of pain he would sleep and I'm you know of the mindset I'm sort of I call myself spiritual and skeptical at the same time so (laughs) I was sort of looking at it thinking well I don't think that she's got all these amazing mystical magical powers what I think she's doing is she's connecting with him in a way that he's able to turn on his own pain killing mechanisms and she's actually getting him into this really lovely relaxed state and she's sort of working with him um and I got very interested in that so I decided that when I started on this journey myself, um, the first port of call would be to go and find out what healing was all about. So I joined a group of healers, uh, learned how to meditate, 
that was the most challenging thing I've done because <laughs> I'm not, as you can hear, I'm not somebody who's sort of like quiet and introvert, you know, however much I talk is however loud my mind is going. And the only reason I persevered with it was it was an hour and a half away from my kids every week. So I thought it was mm. a bit of time for myself. <laughs> so I yeah. thought I'm going to carry on doing this. Um, and I persevered with it and I just got very interested in it. And weirdly, the first thing that I noticed uh, about the meditation wasn't that I was more chilled out or more calm or anything like that. It was just that I stopped getting ill. Mm. And I'd always been somebody who, you know, you'd only have to walk past me and I'd catch cold. But honestly, my immune system just started really responding to the meditation because obviously what I didn't realize at that time, which I know now, is that if you're very stressed out, your immune system can't work properly. And uh, so then to do the opposite actually helps you in that way. So, yeah, so so then I trained as a healer, uh, learned how to teach meditation to other people, thought that I would try and help my kids empower themselves. So learned how to teach mindfulness to children, uh, then realised that I'd made mindfulness the least cool thing in the world so that my <laughs> kids will never do it. Uh, so I thought, well, I better maybe teach some other people's kids to do it. So I started going to schools and, you know, and it's just kind of grown from there. It was never something I intended to do as a job. It's just evolved. Wow. So mindfulness is definitely something that changed my life. I think it's just such an important topic and people do just kind of brush it aside. Um, what mindfulness? I don't know about that. And not everyone really understands what it is. So if we just start with the basics, what is mindfulness? Yeah. So when I'm talking about mindfulness, I always try and say to people, there's, there's two important aspects to it as far as I'm concerned. And that is the, the first one is being in the present moment. And the reason that that is so powerful is because when we worry and when we get stressed out about things, we're always thinking about stuff that has happened that we can't change or things that might be that we're worrying about that might happen in the future. And, um, you know, we're really good at trying to predict the worst possible outcome for ourselves in the future. I think we just think if I think about the worst possible thing, then I'm preparing myself for it. And then if it happens, right. I'm really <laughs> prepared for it. And the reality is that we often don't know what's going to happen in the future. And if the worst possible thing does happen, having worried about it for so many months or weeks or days beforehand really doesn't make it easier for you. <laughs> right. uh, it just means that it's massively impacted on your health and your mental well-being in the meantime. Mm. So bringing yourself into the present moment allows you it gives you permission to not have any worries because actually um, if I was to say to you okay tell me all the stuff that you're worried about you know we could be sitting here for hours and talking about right. that but right here right now all you've got to do is sit here listen to my voice anybody that's listening to this now all you're doing is you're sitting down wherever you are listening to my voice right here right now so in this moment just in this present moment you actually have no worries. And, and and that's so powerful because I think we're often not given permission to not worry. It's actually okay. <laughs> you know, you're actually right. allowed not to worry. <laughs> um, so that's the that's the one element with mindfulness that I think a lot of people know. The other the other element I think is uh, that's really important is the non-judgmental aspect of it as well. So it's non-judgmental present moment awareness. So again, when we start judging things as good or bad, we start having an emotional reaction to it. But but by noticing things as though we're the observer of it and not attaching a story to it, we can look at it and we can be much more objective and we don't have those emotional responses. So we stay much better emotionally regulated so we don't tend to go into a stress response about things. And that's and that's why I think that, that, that mindfulness is so powerful because it, it combines those two things together. 
Yeah, definitely. One of the first exercises that I was given for mindfulness was to drink a cup of tea mindfully to you know, not have my phone with me, not have television on, and just feel the cup in my hand, feel the taste, smell it, use all my senses, you know, what, what did it taste like, pick out the different herbs and things in the teas. And that was, that was really powerful to have that exercise to just, okay, all I'm thinking about is this cup of tea. Is that one of the exercises that is common or was that just something that my therapist threw out? <laughs> no, it is really common. There's like there's like um, a, a raisin one as well that, you, you know, mm. you, like you put a raisin in your mouth and and you don't eat it straight away. And, and, and you and you actually even before you start to get to that point, you, you will look at the raisin and you'll and, and some people do it with chocolate. But I mean, that's going to melt in your hand. So I think that's why they choose a raisin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and one of the things is to, to, to have a beginner's mind. It's called a beginner's mind about it. And, and I like to say, well, it's more like an alien mind. Like if you're an alien and you just landed and you mm. picked up a raisin, what would you think it was? Like if you looked mm. at it and you'd never seen it before and you're seeing it for the first time, what what does it even look like? Would you even want to put it in your mouth? You know, what, what, how would you work out what it is? And, and you're encouraged to look at things in that way. Because what we tend to do is we tend to have all these associations with everything in our lives. Um, and they're sort of deeply programmed. So I'll look at something and, it, and I'll have a, a memory about it or I'll have a thought or I'll have a judgment yeah. about it. It. So in order to not be judgmental about it, if we if we kind of take away everything that we think we know about that thing and we look at it um, as though we've never seen it before, it allows us to be free of any judgment about it. And then you can be actually experiencing that thing as it is. So it sounds like a really crazy thing to do, but that's the that's the rationale behind it is to start learning to unlearn all the things all the judgments and the thoughts that you have about things that then maybe send you on a path during the day of of you know an emotional roller coaster because you just keep going back to these thoughts and these feelings all the time that sounds like that would be really great for children to learn mindfulness to do the alien mind yeah, I mean, you know, the, the thing with kids is that they are a lot more open, I think, depending on the age group, because mm -hmm. I've taught I've taught mindfulness to uh, to primary school children, which here in the UK, you know, that goes up to the age of 11 and to secondary school children and the and and sitting in front of a group of teenage girls who are around 15, 16 versus sitting in front of this, that group of seven-year-olds <laughs> is very different. There's a big difference, different. yeah. Yeah, very different. <laughs> But one of the things that I like to do, so the, the course that I actually did to teach mindfulness to children wasn't just about mindfulness, it was about other emotional resilience techniques as well. Mm -hmm. So there's sort of things like positive self-talk and, and, and all those kinds of things. But one of the things that the children really love is, is I do like a little exercise with them called My Amazing Brain. And that's where you actually show them what's going on in their brains when they're getting stressed out and worried about things. And we use an animal analogy to explain that. So I think that what's really good is to do the mindfulness, but to also give a bit of background to it and explain why it works. You know, yeah. and, and, and I actually find that the that the brain stuff is so interesting that I, I use that in, with adults as well. I'll do the animal analogy with adults as well. And it's just as accessible for them because once we understand why we get stressed and and how that's impacting our lives and why we're acting like that and it's totally normal and actually it's okay then we understand then we can explain why the mindfulness actually works and why it's helpful and I think it's really important to know why you're doing things and not just go in and tell people 
to do something without explaining a bit of context behind it. Yeah, I definitely agree. I do that when I teach tapping. Are you familiar with tapping EFT? Yeah. Yeah, I teach them why that works instead of just telling them, hey, we're going to act like a monkey. I tell them why acting like a monkey is actually going to help them. Observing and releasing the emotions. Very little is needed to make a happy life. It is all within yourself in your way of thinking. Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, Stoic philosopher and Roman emperor. A mighty bull can be led with one pinky finger through the ring in its nose. A giant battleship can be steered with a wheel the size of a hubcap. A skilled martial artist can body slam a person many times bigger and stronger with a flick of the wrist. In the same way, our emotions, though very subtle, can get the better of our wits and govern our actions. This evening, are your emotions ruling you or are you ruling your emotions? If you wanted to control them, could you? Take a look at your emotional state at the close of the day. Notice whatever you feel in a completely non-judgmental way. Is it rage, frustration, joy, boredom, sadness, fear, lust? Attend as much as possible to the emotion, noticing its contours, its exact feeling. Once you have a good fix on it, realize also that this state is temporary. It has arisen and it will fade again. Set this feeling adrift on the ocean of consciousness and do not cling to it. Move into the observer position and watch. From A Mindful Evening by David Dillard Wright. meditation different from mindfulness? So that's a really great question and I'm glad that you've mentioned that because one of the biggest misconceptions I think people have is that they can't practice mindfulness unless they're meditating mm. and you can do med you can do mindfulness in meditation so um, you can do sort of present moment awareness in meditation you can do focused attention in, in meditation and that's the sort of mindfulness sort of just really noticing how you're feeling in the moment bringing some awareness to the breath but the thing about meditation that I really love and that I've really found is so brilliant is is that there's so many different types of meditation out there that not all types of meditation are equal and, and it's about finding the right one for you and I sat through a, a really amazing talk by there's um, there's a, a neuropsychiatrist called Peter Fennick and he is he's absolutely brilliant and I've been to a couple of talks with him and he gave a great lecture once about how they'd done some studies to show that different types of um, meditation activate different parts of the brain slightly mm. And so, um, so I think that that's absolutely fascinating. So if, you, if you're following a guided meditation, for instance, you'll be activating a slightly different part of the brain to if you're doing a mantra meditation, or if you're doing a mindfulness meditation, or if you're doing, you know, a healing meditation, all these different, or, or a loving kindness meditation, you know. So, so mm. the, the great thing about that is that, that one, you can, 
if you tried meditation, it hasn't worked for you. It could just be you haven't found the right one for you yet. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and if you're a really visual person, I'm a really visual person. So I actually, you know, love a visual visual meditation you know I love a chakra meditation something with colors you know that that really works for me also because of how much I talk I love a mantra meditation because I just like talking <laughs> so I think that honestly you know that's 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 the great thing about meditation is if you find one and it doesn't work for you it it could be that there's a different one out there and and also as well if you've got one that's really challenging for you that could actually be the one you need to do because it might be the part mm. of your brain that needs activating a little bit more so when I teach meditation, I try and do lots of different styles so that we kind of encourage a bit of whole brain integration. Uh, so we'll do a little bit of a body scan. We'll do a bit of a progressive muscle relaxation to connect the mind and the body together. We'll do a little bit of visualization and bring some colors into it to activate that bit. We might do a little bit of mantra thrown in there as well. So I think it's nice to give people a bit of a mix um, so that they're activating all these different parts of their brain. That's such a good topic to talk about because people will try one meditation or, you know, one hypnosis and it doesn't work for them. But learning styles, that that is important to take into account because you have to change your language. And so, you know, y'all take that to heart that if you've tried it once or twice, maybe you just didn't find the right one. And so try more. I think that's really important definitely and find the right teacher you know you know it's find the right person who's going to help you with this because you know sometimes you've got to find the right voice you if you're following a guided meditation and someone's voice really annoys you it's not, yeah. not going to work for you <laughs> exactly uh, also as well I've sat in circles and groups with people um and and we've been doing meditations and stuff and the lovely person running it will say something like oh now we're going in a cave and you know it's like a guided mm -hmm. thing and, and if you've got someone there suffering with claustrophobia and this has actually happened he's like I'm not going in a cave right uh, <laughs> you know, or, or you might have somebody who doesn't want to be on a beach or you might have so when people sort of say oh what's the best guided meditation out there I'm like well you, you know that's up to you it's it's a very personal thing uh, for you to find the ones that work for you find somebody you like find somebody whose voice resonates with you can help you get into that into that state um, and you know and people some people love apps some people find that that really helps them but equally I've got other people who will say well you know if I don't do so many minutes a day and my app keeps going off reminding me I haven't done it then I'm getting stressed about that and I'm like well then don't do the app you know <laughs> right stressed about not meditating that's really not going to help you at all just get get rid of that it's not the right thing for you but other people like to track their progress and we're all different you know that's the that's the great thing is that this is so accessible. All this well-being stuff is accessible for everybody. Yeah, definitely. There are a lot of misconceptions about meditation and mindfulness I've seen. One of them I think that you touched on is just about how many different types of meditation there are. Because people will say a lot, well, I can't sit down and completely quiet my mind for 15 minutes. So I think it's really important. Another misconception is about stress, I think. I don't think everyone actually knows what stress is. So what is stress and is it bad for you? 
Yeah, this is another great question. I mean, the the really interesting thing about stress is when I was trying to do a, one of my talks and I was trying to find a really good definition for stress is I realized no one can really agree on what stress actually is. You know, there's so many different definitions out there and I think that's why it's really hard for people to know. Um, but the one that I found that I tend to use is that it's a sort of, it's a psychological and physical response to when we have to adapt to change. And the reason is that we have to understand what stress is so, and why we've got the stress response there. You know, the stress res response is there to help keep us alive. Our brains are there to look for threats to help keep us alive, you know? Um, because if we, if when we were living in caves and stuff, we needed to have this, we needed to have this response to get us out of trouble. We needed to be able to run away or fight or, and that's why it's called the fight or flight or freeze response, you know? So it is a psychological and physical response to when we have to get into action and we have to move and we have to save ourselves. But the truth is that most of the time now we're not we, we're not really in those life and death situations and we don't really have to respond in that way. But no one's kind of told, you know, the amygdala, which is like I describe in the brain analogy, the guard dog of the brain, you know, it's always <laughs> looking out for us. It's trying to protect us, but it, and it, but it will bark at anything, you know? And, <laughs> and, and so, so we'll start using that stress response in inappropriate circumstances. So we might be stuck in traffic and we're in a stress response as though we're trying to run away from a predator you know it's right. not appropriate for that for that thing I mean but little bits of stress you know if you're there's two types of stress so there's eustress which is good stress and distress which is bad stress so a little bit of stress you know like if you're playing sport or you're or you've got a you know deadline to reach and you, you get a little bit of adrenaline and that sort of boosts you yeah. That stuff can actually be quite good, you know, because you're getting a little bit of adrenaline. Your body can cope with that quite easily. But it's when you get into the situation where you're in chronic stress all the time mm -hmm. and it becomes overwhelming and then you're not getting that that boost of, of energy. You're not get, you're constantly living this fight or flight. You've got loads of cortisol running through your body and then you, you just start getting drained from it, you know, and um, and your body struggles to take you out of out of that and and Joe Dispenza who I don't know if you're familiar with but he does um he's a sort of neurosciencey guy and he does all these amazing retreats meditation retreats and 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 checks to see what's happening in people's brains and their physical response to it he always breaks it down into into sort of three different areas which I really like so he'll, he'll talk about physical stress which is like trauma so if you've had an, an illness or an injury or something like that and then you've got emotional stress which is more the kind of stuff that I deal with and then you've got toxic stress which is unseen stress so if you're eating really bad foods that are just putting a huge amount of strain on your body or if you're living in an unhealthy environment because the reality is we only have so much energy in our bodies to heal ourselves so yeah. if you've got you know if you if you've got an illness or an injury that you're needing to recover from if you're under a huge amount of emotional stress as well then you're having to divert some energy off to dealing with that and if you're eating really unhealthily then you're having to divert some energy off to deal with that so you can see that actually dealing with your emotional stress and your sort of toxic unseen stress is really helpful to get the maximum amount of energy to help you deal with any physical stress you might be um, having to cope with. And can mindfulness help with this stress and anxiety that we don't want to have, this alarm system going off all the time? 
Yeah, well, what's really interesting is, I mean, there's been a lot of studies on mindfulness more than other types of meditation. And I think that's because, you know, John Kabat-Zinn, who's the doctor in, in America who brought it into the mainstream back in, I think about the 70s, he started to to develop this and bring it into a clinical setting. So there's been a lot more of a bit much bigger evidence based behind mindfulness than maybe some other meditations out there. And they found with mindfulness meditation in particular, that what it actually does is in the brain, it actually makes changes. So the amygdala actually sort of shrinks down a little bit. It's not so responsive. So that when you know these things come up, the guard dog of your brain isn't barking so much. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's actually like you're stroking. I always say to the kids, like you're stroking, stroking the dog. You've got a way of kind of calming yourself down. So it's actually making physical physical changes in the brain. So you're not going to have that, that, that stress come up so much. But also, if you're not wanting to meditate and you're not wanting to do that, just bringing yourself into that present moment awareness and not judging things and getting into the habit of noticing what the thoughts are that are really stressing you out, getting into the habit of observing them but not getting involved in the story of them so you can just let them go and move on with your day. Those are things that really help with emotional regulation. And so if you're dealing with your emotional regulation because... You know, it's not about avoiding stress. You can't do that. It's about managing it. And you want good coping strategies. And that's what mindfulness is. It's a really good coping strategy for actually managing stress effectively. So when it comes up, you've got something you can do. I'm bringing myself into the present moment. I'm noticing my thoughts. I'm not judging them. I'm letting them go. That's so powerful. And we always talk about what to do, but we don't talk about what to let go of. Do you, do you notice that? You know, we, we're always yeah, like, definitely. I need to do something. But sometimes <laughs> the most powerful things that we can do is to let stuff go, yeah. you know, and then you actually feel lighter and you're, you know, and bring yourself in the present moment and not judging things. That That's so powerful. And that doesn't have to be done in meditation, but it's just like anything. It just takes practice and it takes remembering how to do it. And I think that comes from living more intentionally and bringing awareness to what you're doing going back to what you were saying about the cup of tea you know doing yeah. doing things like that you don't have to drink tea really slowly you don't have to do things like that but if you get fully engaged in the process of anything that you're doing you can just be in that moment doing that and then you're not worrying about things that have happened in the past or what might happen in the future you're just very engaged in the present moment and the more you can do that the more intentional you're living So is this an example of the micro mindfulness you mentioned on your website? Yeah, so so micro mindfulness is just something that I came up with only because for me, you know, people people like we've talked about the meditation and everyone will talk about mindfulness and meditation as if they're interchangeable. And for me, they're two really distinctly different things. And actually, for me, the, the way that mindfulness has helped me the most has been to incorporate it into the really small habits in my everyday life so that I am living more intentionally, so that I'm aware of where my emotions are going and I'm better able to emotionally regulate so to give you some examples I used to one of the things I used to do first thing in the morning is I would switch my phone on first thing in the morning and that's like the worst thing you can do (laughs) because the minute you switch your phone on you know you might get messages that might stress you out or emails or you start looking at social media and and start comparing yourself to other people or looking for people's approval or remembering who you like and who you don't like and and you're on this emotional roller coaster before you even 
get out of bed, you know. Right. <laughs> so so one of the things that I, I do instead now is I go, okay, well, look, that is not going to be the first thing I do. I'm just going to reset myself at the beginning of the day before I even do that, you know. So then when I do engage with things, I'm nice and calm. So I'll just, you know, beginning of the day, before I even get out of bed, I just check in with myself and I just think, okay, so, so what thoughts am I having? What thoughts am I actually going to carry forward into my day before I'm even consciously aware that I'm thinking about them? Um, what I think is really interesting is people, we don't normally notice our thoughts when we have 60 to 70,000 a day, so it's not surprising that we don't notice them. But what we do notice is we notice how we feel. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you wake up in the morning and you're and you're feeling a bit stressed and stress will show up in the body in different ways for different people. For me, I always kind of get it in my stomach. It's like having a knot in, in my stomach and that's how I'll notice it. But, you know, other people, it might be in their chest or, you know, their hands and feet. And so I'll notice if I'm waking, if I've woken up, I might be, might have had a great night's sleep, might be feeling really good and ready to start the day. And that's great. And I'll just check in with myself and notice that. But if I'm not, I'll just notice the feeling that I'm having in my body and think, okay, well, what are the thoughts that I've been having that have created that feeling? And then I'm noticing it and think, oh, that's interesting. I, 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 it, that's interesting. I've noticed that. Um, I'm now going to let that go before I even start my day. Yeah. Wow. And then I can go and check my phone if I want, you know, mm-hmm, but I've, t- mm-hmm. I've just taken those few moments and and just doing a, a little, you know, just a little exercise like that. And I actually put together a little workbook thing called Today's Going to Be Awesome. And if anybody wants to see like this little video on my website, and they can check it out and they don't have to, to get the book that I did. But I give some tips on there just about how you can just make every day a little bit better by just doing some of these little things that you just throw in during a day you know get out of bed and make the first thing you do a, a step of gratitude so as soon as my feet hit the floor I'm just like saying thank you because oh, as yeah. soon as you say thank you out loud your brain kind of thinks wow you've got something to be thankful for because you wouldn't be saying mm. thank you otherwise so just walking out walking downstairs you know I'm going thank you thank you you know just mm. tiny little things yeah those tiny little things that people don't have to give up any 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 extra time to it's just like mindful habit stacking you know you're just taking yeah. something you do anyway and you're just making it more mindful but that can all add up to having a really big impact on your on your emotional health yeah, tiny habits, micro habits, you can use them in so many places in your life. And it's it's like manageable bites that you can actually incorporate it. You don't have to do an hour of this and that and the other. So I think that, you know, you've definitely got something there with the micro mindfulness because anybody can get up out of their bed and say thank you the first time their foot steps on the floor. Anybody could do that. It doesn't take any time at all. And so just do it. Just try it for you know, seven days, two weeks and see what changes in your life. I think that's, that's a great practical example of something that you can start doing. So you mentioned the um, intention setting journal and the planner. Is this the one you have available on Amazon? Yeah, that's right. And honestly, it's such, it's such, I said to, I, I remember saying to my family, I've done a book and they're like, wow, I think it's going to be this great big thing. Uh, and there's only like a handful of pages of actual instructions in it. And the most of it is just uh, space to write down and plan out your day and doing a little mm-hmm. bit of journaling because I'm a real big fan of journaling. You know, like I mm-hmm. think it's really, really powerful. Um, but that's because actually I think there's so much stuff out there for people to do you know there's so much information that I wanted to actually put out something that had a few basic instructions that gives enough information so that people know why they're doing it but then just a really practical tool so it's 90 days because I think by the time you've done something for 90 days 
it is really quite ingrained as a habit at that point. And what it does is it, it encourages you to put things in place at the beginning of your day and then reflect back at the end of the day. So, and But it's very, very simple things. So I talk in there about getting some values because it's been shown that if you just focus on your values at the beginning of the day, you have a much better day because you're switching your focus to things that really matter to you and give you purpose in life. It's about having a nice little affirmation that you can just pick out as you're going through your day if you, if you come mm. up against something that you're struggling with and it's also about um, emotional scaling which I'm a really big fan of as well so I've done my own little emotional scale in there about how you can actually start noticing where you are on an emotional scale at the beginning of the day and where you want to get to and, um, and and just bring awareness to, to the fact that you're on an emotional scale and you're somewhere um, that's a real mindful thing I think and, I, and I, I'm a really big fan of that because people talk about good and bad emotions and actually there are no good or bad emotions you know there's just uh, there are emotions that are appropriate depending on what you're going through at that mm. point in your life and um, and I think it but I think it's really important that you don't get stuck in the lower energy emotions is what I would call them Mm-hmm. because obviously if you go through something like I went through and, and, and you'll, you go through a sort of grieving process you, you wouldn't expect to feel happy you know like right. it would be weird you know it would be weird if someone you cared about you lost someone you cared about and you're suddenly ecstatically happy I mean that's not normal you know so right. you don't have to be happy all the time but if you find yourself in a situation where uh, you're in these kind of lower energy emotions of sort of I don't know guilt shame grief and you're just living in those and you're just feeding them more and more and more you just have no energy you know and and this is about having more energy in your life and going up the emotional scale and changing the energy that you're you're putting out there so I, I I'm a big fan of that so there's a little bit of that in the in in the planner as well it's, it's just bringing awareness to it um but it's also just about getting that getting into that habit of living more intentionally and making every day better yeah that sounds wonderful I'll link to it in the comments so y'all check for that but just give us the name of it one more time uh so it's called today is going to be awesome awesome i love it (laughs) so any final words any last thoughts that you just really uh want the listeners to know i think if i could just say anything it's look you know i only went into this journey because of what had happened to me and what i'd seen happen to people that i love Mm -hmm. and so i would say it's not about you having to turn your back on one thing and embrace something else. I would never say to anybody, oh, don't go down the sort of normal mainstream medical route or whatever. It's, but it's just being open-minded to what you can actually do also for yourself and incorporate into your own life and your own world and to empower yourself over your own health. You're more powerful than you think. And there are so many amazing things that you can do. And if the stuff that I do doesn't resonate, then it doesn't matter, but it's finding something for you. But take that power back, you know, take that power back and find some things that you can do to really empower yourself over your own health and your life. You're more powerful than you think. That's awesome. So how do we get in touch with you? So you can check out my website, which is getmindful.co.uk. All my social media links are on there. I do a lot on Facebook at Get Mindful. I'm sort of trying to embrace Instagram. Um, I'm <laughs> surely get mindful on there. You know, these these technology challenges aren't something that I ever kind of thought I'd have to face. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so anything like that, I'm on Twitter at get underscore mindful. But, you know, LinkedIn, wherever I'm on all these things, you can find me. Okay. Anywhere. Just get mindful and you can find me. <laughs> 
Wonderful. Thank you so much, Shirley, for sharing your knowledge and giving us some really great practical tips to incorporate mindfulness into our lives. And y'all remember what she just said, you are more powerful than you think and take your power back. What a great discussion for our wellness theme this month. And listeners, I'd love to hear from you about your own mindfulness practice. It's so easy to send me a short message and it might even be used on a future episode. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Shirley. Y'all be safe and y'all be blessed. Getting nature's magic back. To be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never stop fighting. E.E. Cummings When I was a child, the pecan tree in the side yard was not just a tree. It was a welcome friend. Its shade provided shelter for sword fights and magical battles. We left it gifts of coins buried in the dirt. We poured it offerings of milk and honey. We tried to understand the language of its rustling leaves in the wind and read the signs of birds perched in its branches. The tree was more of a she than an it, more of a person than an object. All children, if they have had a decent childhood, have something of a reverence for nature. It is only as we enter into adulthood that the spark of wonder dies through excessive calculation and classification. We forget to take off our shoes and walk in the grass. The magic in the world dies and is replaced with a drab gray fog. But we can get the magic back, even this evening, by simply asking for it. This evening, invite wonder and play into your life Allow your imagination to run freely to what might be. This is from A Mindful Evening by David Dillard Wright. Thank you all for listening to Bell Book and Candle. You can follow Mella on Instagram and Facebook at Bell Book Candle SC. That's Bell. B-E-L-L-E, or become a patron at patreon.com forward slash bellbookcandle.